Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Eric Waltersdorf was born on January 31st, 1958, and he died on June 11th, 1983, in a mountain climbing accident in Austria at just 25 years of age. His father was Nicholas Waltersdorf, who was a professor of philosophy at Calvin College in Grand Rapids at the time. And following his son's death, he published a collection of vignettes in which he expressed the depths of his grief and his loss called Lament for a Son, in which he writes these words. The call came at 3.30 on that Sunday afternoon, a bright sunny day. We had just sent a younger brother off to the plane to be with him for the summer. Mr. Woltersdorf? Yes. Is this Eric's father? Yes. Mr. Woltersdorf, I must give you some bad news. Yes. Eric has been climbing in the mountains and has had an accident. Yes. Eric has had a serious accident. Yes. Mr. Woltersdorf, I must tell you, Eric is dead. Mr. Woltersdorf, are you there? You must come at once. Mr. Woltersdorf, Eric is dead. For three seconds, I felt the peace of resignation. Arms extended, limp son in hand. Peacefully offering him to someone. Someone. Then the pain. Cold, burning pain. He later elaborates on that cold, burning pain. He says, it's the neverness that is so painful. Never again to be here with us. Never to sit with us at table. Never to travel with us. Never to laugh with us. Never to see his brothers and sister Mary. All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. Only our death can stop the pain of his death. A month, a year, five years, with that I could live but not this forever. Walter Storff's words simply confirm what we already know to be true, and that that's death is a cold, harsh, ruthless enemy who threatens to rob us of everything we know and everything we love. And this world that we live in is not safe. It's not safe. Death is always prowling and we wonder how can there be any joy how can there be any laughter how can we experience any peace or have any sense of meaning when death is always stalking all of us ourselves and the ones that we love it's only because of this it's because the bible declares that death is a conquered enemy that the conquering christ of easter has conquered the enemy of death through his resurrection. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. The fact that the conquering Christ of Easter has conquered the enemy of death for us through his resurrection. Paul tells us of this victory that he wins in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter on the resurrection of the body. Paul begins that chapter by asserting the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead in history. It's something that happened in history. And then he asserts the centrality of the fact of Jesus' resurrection for our faith in verse 14 when he claims, if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Apart from the resurrection, Christian preaching and our faith is worthless. But, Paul declares, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then he goes on to encourage us with the reality of the death of death and the reality of our resurrection hope in him in verses 20 through 26 before he then goes on to consider the nature of our resurrection bodies. But we're gonna consider Paul's words of encouragement to us this morning in those verses 20 through 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 20 through 26. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate one in the seats in front of you, and the passage is found on page 560 in those Bibles, 560. But again, we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, let's rise together and hear the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ." Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Well, we can be certain of at least three things concerning death from this passage. Three things. And the first is that death is an enemy. It's the first thing we can be certain of from this passage. Death is an enemy. Paul calls death an enemy in verse 26. Not a natural part of life, but an enemy. Death is an unwelcomed intruder into our world. It's not part of God's original intent or design for us. We are not created to die. Death is a result of sin. Paul begins to allude to this in verses 21 and 22 of our passage when he says, by a man came death, and he's referring there to Adam. And then he specifies that it's in Adam that all die. And it's because of Adam's disobedience that death has been ushered into our world. Just as God threatened in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, which Pastor Bob has already read in our Old Testament reading, when God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, in the day that you partake of that forbidden fruit, in the day that you disobey, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. Death has been brought into our world through sin, and this notion is confirmed by Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When he says, sin came into the world through one man, again, a reference there to Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. There is death in our world because of sin, and that's why we face this enemy of death. But death is a particularly malicious enemy. It's particularly malicious in that it's an enemy that devours, an enemy that devastates, and an enemy that dismantles. 
That's the enemy that death is. Death seeks to devour everything. Everything we know, everything, I, everything we love. It seeks to devour our health, our bodies, and our relationships. And no one and nothing is left untouched by it. Death is not just an enemy of a few of us in this room this morning. It's an enemy of all of us. There are no towns, no cemeteries, no, or no cities, no villages, no communities that don't have their cemeteries, that don't have their graveyards, that don't have their tombstones. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, death has no pity for the young and no mercy for the old. It pays no regard for the rich or the beautiful. Death devours the rich and the poor, the healthy and the unhealthy, the young and the old. And it's always inching closer to devour. It's always inching closer to devour everything, our plants, our pets, our loved ones, and ourselves. I mean, here's a sobering thought. We're all about 45 minutes closer to the day of our death than we were when we entered into the sanctuary for worship. There's no denying that, and it just keeps getting closer. As one author put it, time is not marching on. Time is running out for everyone and everything. The entire universe, stars are dying. We're told that the, un the entire universe, the entire cosmos is winding down to colder temperatures and to death. So eventually death devours everything. But death isn't just an enemy that devours, it's an enemy that devastates those left in its wake. Waltersdorf captures this when he writes this, I buried myself that warm June day. It was me those gardeners lowered on squeaking straps into the hot dry hole. Curious neighborhood children looking down in on me, everyone stilled, wind rustling the oaks. It was me over whom we slid that heavy slab, more than I can lift. It was me on whom we shoveled dirt. Sometimes I think that happiness is over for me. I look at photos of the past and immediately comes the thought, that's when we were still happy. But I can still laugh, so I guess that isn't quite it. Perhaps what is over is happiness as the fundamental tone of my existence. Now sorrow is that. Sorrow is no longer the islands, but the sea. Tempered and qualified happiness is the reality that faces all of us in this habitat of death. If you're not already there, you will be. Tempered and qualified happiness is what we get in this place. It's what these Easter lilies actually represent. These lilies are here in remembrance of loved ones who are lost. We don't have them anymore. We have them in our memories. But the relationships have been severed. Severed in a way they weren't meant to be. And so it's not just that death devours and devastates. It's so devastating because it does dismantle. It severs bonds and relationships that are not intended to be severed and broken. Death tears children from parents 
and it can tear, and it can tear parents from children grandparents from grandkids, siblings from siblings, spouses from spouses, friends from friends, and after it smashes our hearts, then it tears our souls away from our bodies. You know, we often don't think about how tragic it really is that those whose very DNA forms the substance of our cells, we never get to meet. No one in here has gotten to meet his or her great-great-grandparents. Those are just your grandparents' grandparents. As much as we loved our grandparents, our grandparents had grandparents. And we don't get to know them at all. And we won't be here for our great-great-grandchildren. And the reality is death dismantles so much that some children never get to know their parents, let alone their grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents. And some parents don't get to really know their children. Their children don't get old enough to have a relationship with them. Some parents don't get to hold their children because death severs that relationship while they're still in the womb. This severing and separation is not what God intended. Let me quote Wolterstorff again. He says, the worst days are now holidays. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, birthdays, weddings, January 31st, which was his son's birthday. Days met as festivals of happiness and joy are now days of tears. Days of routine I can manage. No songs are expected. But how am I to sing when there's always one, two, few? It captures the dismantling, doesn't it? One, two, few. More were supposed to be here. But death is dismantled. And at the heart of death's severing is actually the separation from God. Because it's not just physical death that we have to contend with. Spiritual death we have to contend with, which is every bit as real as physical death. And I think most of us are clear that the Bible teaches that sin severs our fellowship with the God of life. But biblically speaking, to be out of fellowship with the God of life is to be dead, even if you're alive. It's an important principle. Biblically speaking, to be out of fellowship with the living God is to be dead, even while you're alive. This is why Paul can talk to the Ephesians about being dead in their trespasses and sins before they came to faith. That's spiritual death. We contend not only with death as a physical enemy, but a spiritual enemy as well. But thankfully, there's grace for both spiritual death and physical death. Because this isn't the whole truth yet. Yes, death is an enemy, but the second thing we learned from this passage is that death is an enemy that has been defeated. Death is an enemy that has been defeated. Death's power to go on devouring and devastating and dismantling has been broken by Jesus when he rose from the dead, which Paul asserts as an unassailable fact in verse 20 of our text. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Death's defeat occurred on that first Easter morning when the conquering Christ drew life and breath back into his lungs. 
That signaled the defeat of death. I think most of us probably realize that the NCAA basketball championships are tonight, women's championship is tonight, men's championship tomorrow evening. But you know that every year, every team in the tournament, despite their unbridled joy two weeks previously at being selected to play in the tournament, every team loses. Every team in the tournament loses, except one. And in our struggle, and in our contest with death, every person born of woman loses that struggle, except one. That's the Easter message, except one. Jesus, risen from the dead, the conqueror of death. But here's the wonder and the glory of the Easter announcement. It's that we, you and me, can participate in that resurrection life through him. Jesus defeated death for us. Listen to how Paul refers to Jesus curiously in verse 20 in this way. He says, Jesus Christ has in fact been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. Paul is borrowing from Old Testament imagery here where the Israelites would appear before the, before the Lord and offer to him the first fruits of their harvest. Those first fruits would have been the fruits that just became the initial ones ripe on the vine or in the fields and they would present them to God. Not just out of gratitude but as a token and a pledge that the rest of the harvest was to follow. I mean the harvest really hadn't begun yet. These are just the first ones that they could pick that, that became ripe and they offered them to the Lord as a token of that which is to follow. And Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning the rest is sure to follow. Listen to how Paul puts it in our text. In Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Now this doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. We learn this from what else he says. He goes on to say, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, the first risen from the dead, but then, then, the rest of the harvest to follow. Then at his coming when he returns, those who belong to Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the pledge and guarantee of the resurrection of all those who belong to him. The resurrection of all those who belong to him. And the way that we belong to him is only by faith. So the most central declaration to hear this morning is this. Jesus is risen from the dead. The most important question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, have you placed your faith in Jesus as your savior from sin and from death? Are you trusting him as the Lord of your life? Do you belong to him who is the resurrection and the life by faith? Because if you do belong to him, because he is yours, resurrection and life are yours too. It's true that only one defeated death by his resurrection, Jesus. But he invites you to be on his team by faith. And everyone on his team who belongs to him by faith shares in his victory, shares in his conquering 
of death. And that victory that he won over death is already enjoyed spiritually by those who belong to him by faith. There's already been a spiritual resurrection within those who belong to Jesus by faith. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's present tense. Already has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. Not will pass, has passed from death to life. Remember this, that biblically speaking, to be out of fellowship with God is to be dead even while you're alive. But listen, biblically speaking, to be in fellowship with God is to be in possession of life, to be in possession of eternal life even if you're dying. And listen, if you're in union with Jesus by faith, if you belong to him, then your fellowship with the living God, your fellowship with your heavenly father has been reestablished and you've been restored to life already. That restoration of life is already yours spiritually. But that restoration of life will also be yours physically, in body, at the last trumpet, when Jesus comes again. Something Paul refers to in verse 52 later in this very chapter. And because of that, we realize that Death is an enemy, but death is an enemy that's been defeated. But we also learn that death is an enemy that will be destroyed. Death is an enemy that will be destroyed. Presently, death is a defeated enemy, and it cannot sever us from our God if we are united to the risen Jesus by faith. Death cannot separate us from God. But while death is a defeated enemy presently, it's not yet a destroyed enemy. Death still severs our souls from our bodies. Death still separates us from our loved ones. And we still live in a world that's marred by death. And so it's still right to mourn and to grieve this devouring and devastation and dismantling that death brings. Just as Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. We still mourn and grieve death. But as Eric mentioned in his prayer, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do not mourn in hopelessness because death is an enemy that will be destroyed. Look at what Paul says in verses 25 and 26. Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed at last, the last enemy. Author John Irving wrote that all stories extended out long enough end in death. Everybody's story extended out long enough ends in death. Darth Vader dies. Han Solo dies. Luke Skywalker dies. But here's what the resurrection of Jesus means. While our stories may include death, our stories don't end in death. Death is not the final word. There is a day coming when death will be no more. A day coming when death will be no more. And that's when Jesus returns and makes all things new. We read about that in the second to the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. And we read there these beautiful words. John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Reminds us of Andrew's words on Good Friday. My God. And it speaks of this complete restoration of fellowship, dwelling in the presence of God spiritually and physically. But John goes on and says what else he saw. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's why we celebrate this morning. That's why we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. It's why we celebrate even while death continues to prowl. Yes, we hate this enemy of death. We are right to hate this enemy of death. And yes, we grieve and we mourn, but we do not fear it as final. We are not terrorized by it. We don't live hopelessly because the enemy of death has been defeated and this enemy of death will be destroyed. Those of us who belong to Jesus have already been defeated spiritually as we've been given new life and it will be defeated and destroyed physically. Charles Spurgeon says this, physical death is but the closet where we put aside our garments for a while. They will come out cleansed and purified. They were our work clothes when we took them off. They will be our Sunday best when we put them on. Amen. If you haven't yet, put your faith in the risen Jesus. Trust him as your savior and king. Belong to him by faith and share in his victory. Share in his victory over the grave. Share in his resurrection life. Do that today. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that in the face of this enemy of death, that we are helpless before. You are the conqueror. You've sent Jesus to defeat death through his death and resurrection. Lord, give us faith even now that we might have spiritual life and give us faith and hope and look forward to that day when death will be destroyed. We celebrate that truth as we rejoice in the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.